right? So today's daf is Chaf Aleph, and we got up to the Gemara on the bottom of Chaf Amud Beis, seven lines from the bottom of the page. A quick overview: we just began the second parak of Sukkah, and the we went through the Mishnah, which taught us that when a person sleeps underneath a bed, you have not fulfilled the obligation. Rabbi Yehuda said you did fulfill your obligation, and Rabbi Shimon said a story about Tevi, who was the non-Jewish servant of Rabbi Gamliel, who slept under beds, and Rabbi Gamliel said that, oh, look, Tevi's a Tamil Chacham, he knows you don't need a, you know, that uh, an Eved is not obligated in Sukkah. So what do you see from this story? You see from the story of Tevi that a person who sleeps under a bed in a Sukkah does not fulfill his obligation like the Tanakam. So to put it all into one sentence, I just repeated the whole Mishnah. To put the Mishnah all into a few words, Tanakhama says, if you sleep underneath a bed in a sukkah, you have not fulfilled your obligation of sukkah. There's a separation. The bed is a separation. And Rabbi Yehuda says, a bed is not a separation. And you're permitted to sleep under a bed in a sukkah. All right. That's the Machlekes and the Mishnah. And that's where the Gemara picks up. And there's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Gemara. Uh, a very, very interesting Gemara. And it's going to be a topic that we're familiar with, which is the topic of Ohel. When you have Tumma underneath a roof, right? So we know it spreads throughout. But we're going to learn some new ideas of what helps a, um, a room or a covering, what gives it the status of an Ohel? to now say that the Tumma is going to spread out. How big does it need to be? How does it need to be made? Let's get going. A very valid point. Very valid point, Rabiel. Um, we're we're going to see why we're giving this particular case. But you're, you're, what you're pointing out is Hayashin Tachas Amita is such a unique case. You're, kind of, you're looking to pick fights. Right, <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Very good. I I, I think that's a, a valid ha'ara, and the Gemara later on is going to touch on your idea because uh, you know it's unique that you're sleeping underneath a bed. Why don't we say a person who sleeps underneath an ohel? What are you doing underneath a bed? A bed is meant to be slept upon. Not to be slept under, right? That's what's so strange about this. And the Gemara is going to dwell on it. The, the Gemara will, will focus on your R. Here we go. Zok the Gemara. According to the Tanakhama, who says that if you sleep underneath a bed, you have not fulfilled your obligation because now you're underneath a bed instead of a sukkah, ask the Gemara why. Vahaleka asara. Your bed does not have tent vachim, and therefore... It shouldn't be considered a separate OL, and therefore we should still view the person under the bed as if they're simply underneath the schach. I am underneath the bed, so what? That bed is nothing. It's not a separate OL. In order to be a separate OL, it needs to be ten tvachim tall. Agutakasha, says the Gemara. Practical answer. Tirgamashmul, Bimitasara. We're talking about a bed that's ten tfachim elevated above the ground. Yankel is sleeping underneath this bed, and that's why he has not fulfilled 
his obligation according to the Tanakhama. Now, according to Shmuel, if you think about it, if a person were to sleep underneath an eight tefach high bed, the Tanakhama would hold it's okay. If it would be an eight tefach high bed, Spaseder, you're allowed to do that in a sukkah. It's only because the bed is tent fachim, thereby it's an ohel on top of Yankel. So now Yankel's under an ohel, he's not underneath the schach, that it's a problem. All right. Weiter. Tanan Hosom. We learned in a Mishnah elsewhere. This is going to take us a nice, longer discussion. Very interesting discussion concerning what is an ohel when it comes to tumma, when it comes to impurity. If you have a hollowed out area that's been hollowed out by water, okay? Now, we, as we know, famous story, Rabbi Akiva, right? He saw the water drip drop on the rock. Eventually it went through the rock. When water plows through something, when water goes, it hollows out an area. So whether you have something that was opened up naturally by water. Or you have a hole through something because termites ate at it. Or it was eaten by malachas. What's malachas? Melach. Salt. Salty things ate away at it and opened up a hole. And also, when you have a pile of stones, what happens when you have stones piled on top of each other? There's always going to be hollow areas. Always going to be cracks in between those stones. It's not like perfectly smoothed out. And similarly, when you have a stack of kurais, a stack of beams that are not perfectly aligned, so some are going to be higher than they stack them above, right? You're also going to have open areas, empty space. All these things, mahil al Okay, If you create a roof on top of something that's tame that will make it tame and what does it do if it's a roof it stops the tumah from extending further and it also spreads the tumah out so let's just choose one example that this missioner listed let's give the case of a pile of beams i have a whole pile of beams i throw a big uh, I'm, I'm preparing a bonfire for logbimer okay when you have a bonfire when you have a pile of beams so there's going to be empty space within that. If somebody, if there's a bot, if there's, let's say, a, a corpse on the bo- that somehow ends up, or a bone of a corpse that ends up on the bottom of that pile in a hollow area, so that, uh, that area is now going to cover it over, make an ohel. Anything else underneath there is tame. But the tumma does not extend beyond the top of it. It's stopped by the roof of the oha. Okay? So uh, that is the, um, that is the Tanakhama. Okay? In all these cases, hollowed out by water, beams, animals ate at it, um, uh, stones piled up, it can be an oha. Rabbi Yehuda says something so interesting. Very interesting, and don't forget this opinion. Even though we don't necessarily apostate like it, it's just a fascinating opinion. And it's not mentioned in many places. Review, Daimer. Call Ihel, She'en Adam, 
Any ohel that's not man-made is not an ohel. Therefore, if I have a stone, a stone tunnel, where water, boom, went through it, and that's what made the tunnel over the course of years and years and years, and then there's a body found inside that tunnel, anything else underneath that does not necessarily become tummy, nor does it stop tumma, because it's not man-made. Now, in most other places in Shas, when we learned the halachas of tumma and tara, what do we talk about? An oil. We just say oil. Yeah. If you have an oil, then Rabbi Yehuda is not arguing on that. Rabbi Yehuda is qualifying what takes on the status of oil. It's very interesting. In order to be an oil, it needs to be man-made. My time with Rabbi Yehuda what is the reasoning for Reb Yehuda? That to be an oil, it cannot be natural. We now turn to today's daf. Daf Says the Gemara, Yol of Ayol Mishkan, learns out the word oil from Ayol of Mishkan. By the Mishkan, who built the Mishkan? B'tzalel, Kal Yisrael, right? B'tzalel, Aliyah. So, man-made. It says by Tumah, Zayis Taras, Adam, Ki Yamaz, And Uksivah, someone says by the Mishkan, by Yifrais, Es Ayol Ala Mishkan, Spread out the tent of the Mishkan. Mala lambi deyadam. Just like by the Mishkan, it's man-made. Af kan bideyadam. So to by tumma, it's man. It's man-made. It can only be an oil if it's man-made. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Fascinating opinion. Rabbanon, when the Rabbanon say no, oil, oil, riva. Listen, it says oil many times, and when you say the word oil many times, you know what that means. Any type of oil, any type. Yeah. When you keep saying oil, 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 oil. So, it means any type of tent, whether it's natural or it is not. Okay. Lamaisa, each one, we have a machlaikas. The Chum say any type of oil is an oil. And Rebuda says only a man-made oil is called an oil like the Mishkan. The Savra oil says the Gemara, how could Rebuda be of this opinion that in order to be uh, an ohel, it's got to be man-made? I don't understand. I'm sorry, I'll ask you a contradiction. We're familiar with this. Listen to this. They had courtyards that were built in Yerushalayim, the beautiful city of Yerushalayim, Al Gabe Yasela. They built these courtyards, Al Gabe Yasela, on top of rocks. Okay? What do you mean on top of rocks? So Rashi says, rocks that were confident. There's never been a cemetery here since the time of creation. And underneath these courtyards is a hollow space, is an empty space. So in other words, they would have these courtyards kind of like coming out over the edge, hollowed out underneath. And the part that was holding up the courtyard was solid stone. And that we knew nobody's ever been buried in. Now, why did we do this? Because we were concerned that maybe if you keep going all the way down, there might be a grave all the way down there. They'd bring women to these courtyards and they would give birth there. And they would raise their children there for Paraduma. Yeah, you can't be trusted to leave them in the regular courtyards of Yerushalayim. You have to shelter them. Yeah, Yeshiva Lane, right? 
you got to make sure your kids stay tar. So how did they make sure their kids stay tar? They, they raised them in these particular courtyards. They had to make sure everybody remains pure for the work of the paraduma. And they would bring shvarim, they'd bring oxen, and lay out wide doors on top of the backs of the oxen. And the children, whenever they needed to go somewhere, they would sit on top of these doors. And they would hold um, uh, cups that were formed from rock in their hands. Okay? Um, which uh, Rashi points out is not Makabal Tomah. And they would come down to the spring of the Shiloach. Now, why would they go to the Shiloach? This is the famous spring at the bottom of Yerushalayim, right? The bottom of the Harabai is the Shiloach. This is the spring where they would gather the water with which to uh, deal, make the, you know, mix with the ashes, the paraduma, to go sprinkle on whoever is Tamemes. Yardu Lusechamayim. They would go down, they, they would lower the cups into the water, umilum, and fill them up. That according to Tanakama, the kids went down into the spring. And Rabbi Yaisi says, no, they would stay on top of the ox and lower the um, stone cups with a rope. Because we didn't want them going out into the river, into the spring, because of maybe at some point there was some burial that happened underneath there. Now, remember, what are we doing to protect these kids from Tumah? We're putting them on a wide axe on a wide door. And apparently, this axe and the wide door and the kid on top cannot become Tumah even if he goes over a cemetery. So that's what we're concerned about. Tumah Mace. So what are we doing all these Zachin for? We're having them live in the courtyard, staying away from Tumah, sit on a wide axe, put on a door, go on top of the door, don't get off. What's it going to help? Let's say the axe walks over a graveyard. Isn't there still a concern? So let's keep this in mind. Obviously not. Obviously, according to what we're doing, we're cool. Even if the axe were to walk over a graveyard, this child would remain tar. Bitani, we learned through Rebisa. says, that just sitting on an axe was enough. We didn't have to bring doors, according to Rebbe According to Tanakama, we had to add the doors, place them on the backs of the axe. Rebbe Yudah says, that, that wasn't necessary. Says the Gemara, one second. An axe is natural. It's not man-made. Rabbi Yehuda says like this. Put the kid on the axe. If you walk over a cemetery, you're fine. You know why? The axe will be a separation. Says the Gemara, but in, one second. But an axe is not man-made. If Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that the only thing that separates from Toma is a man-made O.L., how can he be of the opinion that an axe is considered an oil? Good to Kasha. Understand the question. Yeah, any questions on this? Any questions? All right. Says the Gemara. Kiyosa Revdimi Yomar of Elazar. When Revdimi came to Bavel, he quoted Rabbi Lazar to say, that Rabbi Yehuda will, when Rabbi Yehuda says that it needs to be man made in order for it to be an oil, 
That's not in all circumstances. That's when the oil is less than the size of an egg rife. Okay? Less than the size. Uh, an egg rife really is like a small head. It's often translated as a fist because an average person's egg rife is the smallest possible head. Okay? But an egg rife literally is a head. Um, so... Um, says says who are recording Rabbi Lazar. Yes, says Rabbi Lazar that when you have something that's as as wide as an egg rife, so then whether or not it's naturally made, it's an oil. I'll agree with that. Where do I say, says Rabbi where do I say it needs to be man made? Only when it's an oil, but it's not as wide as an egg rife, as a fist. Rabbi agrees when you have large stones and and cracks. Inside of slaim, inside of large rocks, that these things would be considered an ayah. Ah, it's natural. He allows natural when it's big. Okay. So now, says the Gemara, what we've just established is Rabbi Huda's opinion, which is, Rabbi Huda's opinion is that. Um, Anything, natural or unnatural, that is larger than an egg rife is an oil. If it's smaller than an egg rife, in order for it to be an oil, it needs to be man-made. Okay. Says Gemara, The door, we're going to assume, is much larger than a fist, and it's much, uh, it's much larger than several fists. Vikatani. And we learned, Rebutah and says, Le'imavim d'lazel now, according to what the Gemara's question, we have to understand. We we have to assume the premise is that Rabbi Yehuda does not want to allow doors, and he wants to only allow oxen. Okay, which means that that uh, just because something is kamalayagrif doesn't mean he's allowing it. You understand the question? The Gemara it's it's, it's a mistaken question. Ultimately, the Gemara in in the question the Gemara is assuming when Rabbi Yehuda says don't bring doors. It means tavka don't bring doors. On that, the Gemara answers no. Amar Abai, you're misunderstanding Rebuto. Rebuto says don't bring doors. It's because you don't need to. He's saying even the ox itself will be enough of a oil that you don't need to bring the losses, which is how we understood originally. Amar Abai, like Hutzrichu lahavid losses. Rabbi says that no, that really Rebuto would say better to not bring doors at all. And I'll tell you why, says Rebuto. When he says don't bring doors, it has nothing to do with whether it's it's wide enough to be to, to stop the tumma. No, there's a completely separate calculation why Rabbi Huda was of the opinion that the kids who went to the Shiloh Spring to draw the water should not have doors. You know why? Says Rabbi Huda, We don't want to turn this into a roller coaster. Don't make it too much fun. If you put a wide door on top of the ox, what's the kid's going to do? He's going to be a kid. And he's going to start experimenting how far he could stand on one side till the other side tips and turns into a seesaw and goes. Next thing you know, the kid falls flat on his nose and is, is macabre tumor. The says of you to don't bring doors. Why? Because then the kid's going to get too comfortable. He might start playing around. He might end up sticking out one, one of his body parts, top of Amadez, and become Tommy from Kabaratahim. So says Rava. Maybe the reason why Rabbi Yehuda says don't bring the doors is, is, is just a, 
a separate idea of a concern that we don't want the kids getting too cozy like you're sitting in first class. We'll start leaning over and this, you might end up becoming tummy. But it's nothing to do with whether or not uh, it's going to be an ohel. Tanya Kavose the Rava. We have a Brysa like Rava. Tanya Kavose the Rava, your Brysa like Rava, Rabbi Rimer, Mavi, and Glosses call liquor. They wouldn't bring doors at home if they should have to see the love because the kid's going to get too excited, get too comfy. Shami Yaiti Rosh, Yachami, where he might stick out his head or one of his body parts, Yachami Gabbatha, and become Tommy Yelmavi and Shwarma. Mitzvah, rather, what would they do? They'd bring oxen from Mitzrayim, Shekri Sayyim Rachavis, that were very wide. They had very wide bellies, very wide backs. And the kids would sit on top of these oxen. Okay, so they were very wide. So they, they made an ohel, but they weren't too wide for a kid to get cozy on. Because shall Evan be damned, they'd hold these stone cups in their hands. They'd go down, fill them up. All of Yashul al Gabayan. They'd go back on top of the oxen. Okay, now let's translate this whole conversation back into our. Um, uh, back into our Mishnah, which we said that a bed is usually um, several agrifim, um, utnan, and we still learned in the Mishnah, that we were allowed to sleep underneath the bed. It must be that a bed, even when it's kama agrifim, is not an automatic goel. Good kasha. It's, store, uh, it's a question on Rebuta's story. And this is where we get to Yale's question from earlier today. And that is a beautiful idea. What's this whole story of sleeping underneath a bed? Says the Gemara, bed is different. You know why? A bed is meant to be on top of. And therefore, the reason why we're choosing a case of under a bed is because in order to consider under the bed to be an ohel, it's not enough to just have kama agrifim. You're going to need more to consider underneath the bed to be an ohel. When the whole purpose of the bed is to lay on top of, not to lay on bottom of, that's for weirdos. Right? Or, I shouldn't say weirdos. I shouldn't say that. Okay? There's circumstances people might sleep under a bed, and we have the Gemara and Brachis, where people would sleep underneath the Rabbeim's beds for various reasons, right? Okay, so there were times, it's unusual, we'll call it. Strange situations, unique situations, okay? So since underneath a bed is not meant to be there, just because you have Kama Egrifim will not be enough for a Yehuda to say this is an Oha. Says the Gemara, Shvarim Nami Gabosim. Well, let me ask you a question. Oxen are not meant to be underneath, right? You ever heard of somebody uh, dying while drinking milk? Uh, while, uh, I guess not drinking milk from an ox, right? But, uh, um, right? Nobody goes underneath. What do you do with an ox? You sit on top. And still we're saying that the Kama Agrifim, the Agrifim, the, the, the fist sizes off the ground, are considered an oil. Why is it an oil? Not ten tvachim. He also rubbed the number of Lazar. Shiny shvarim oxen are different. Hayu maginim al haroyim. Since they protect shepherds, b'chav mei chama b'kishamim b'pnei hagishamim. Granted, shepherds didn't sit all the way underneath, 
but they would use the sides of them and they would protect themselves from the rains and the sun. And therefore, an ox is not strictly meant for what's on top. Even the bottom space, the bottom area, at, you, know, not, you know, not unusually, uh, you know, it wasn't so unusual for, them to be, for us to make use of the shade that they provide with the sides and bottoms of their body as well. And therefore, it would be considered an oil when it's kama agrife. Says Gemari if it's true that um, an ox can be considered an oil when it's kama agrifim, mitanami abed also Yeah, guess what? Maybe people don't usually sleep under a bed, but people keep stuff under a bed. They keep their shoes there. They keep uh, whatever a dirty laundry, whatever people keep under the bed. Yeah, so. As long as, as long as you make use of under the bed, let's say a bed as well, less than 10 tfachim should be an ohel. Elama Rava. Rather, Rava says, you're right. That's not going to be the difference between a bed and um, an ox. Rather, says Rava, shiny shvarim, an ox is different. The bottom of an ox, the airspace under an ox, is different than the airspace under a bed. Listen to this. It's fascinating. Because the, the uh, whole uh, upper body, or the whole body of an ox, is meant to hold in that which is inside. Yes, we're only focusing on, when you look at the ox, the, we'll call it the human angle. There's either a bottom of the belly or a top of the back. But guess what? For the ox itself, the whole thing is meant to What's all the hide and skin there for? To keep it to keep itself together, so his heart doesn't fall out, his belly doesn't fall out, right? His kishkas doesn't fall out, right? It's not meant just to what's on top, what's at the bottom. It's meant for the whole mitzias. Um, as it says, that that skin and flesh is meant to protect that which is inside. Okay, and uh, and therefore. Um, uh, therefore, this is different than a bed because a bed, you're right, is meant primarily for on top, sometimes on bottom. An ox is meant for primarily on top and primarily within and sometimes for bottom. And that's going to be the difference between an ox and a bed as to why by a bed, kama egreifim are not going to be big enough for an oil, but by an ox, kama egreifim will be big enough for an oil. Another possible answer is that Yehuda is consistent with his own reasoning. We learned this on Daf base, right? According to Yehuda, a sukkah needs to be a permanent dweller. A bed is mobile, moves around, it's temporary. When I have a permanent dwelling place, i.e. a sukkah, a temporary oil of a bed that gets moved from place to place, unless you have a quality tent vachim, is not going to get in the way of a permanent oil. A temporary oil cannot come and establish itself as an oil when you have a more permanent oil on top of it. You know what we're going to call this? A bed. You're not called an oil. Aye, but I'm a kama Doesn't matter. We have a 
permanent oil here. I've been in my permanent oil. Now I'm like, now you put a bed on top of me. That's comma uh, yeah, So what? Uh, it, it's it's bottle. Doesn't exist. It, it, you know when I have my sukkah on top of me. I have a Shimon Domar Nami sukkah diras keva beinon basi alaray mavatel oil keva. But in our Mishnah, I'm sorry, but yeah, Reb Shimon says the the Omar sukkah diras keva beinon. He also says you need a sukkah. To be a diras keva, which we paskined earlier. How do you know that Reb Shimon holds you to diras keva? Remember earlier we had a machlekes. How many walls? Rashi explains over here. He goes back to the machlekes and Zion number base. How many walls you need for a kosher sukkah? So is it two and, and a, a tefach or three and a tefach? Reb Shimon said it was three and a tefach because he held that a sukkah needs to mamish be designated. So according to him, um, why is he saying that the bed is going to get in the way of the permanent idol? Says in Bahapligi, just talk about about Rabbi Yudin Rabbi Shimon about this concept, whether a temporary oil can be about the permanent oil. Marsover oil, Osi oil, Arayim about the oil keva. Rabbi Shimon is going to hold that a temporary oil can exist and establish itself even when there's a more permanent oil around. Marsover, Loyasi oil, Arayim about the oil keva. Rabbi Yudin is going to say that it's not, uh, that such a thing does not exist. A temporary oil does not get in the way of a permanent oil, period. End of that Gemara. All right, one last piece of Gemara before the Mishnah. Omar of Shimon Maisa, but Tevi Yadav Shimon says a story with Tevi. All right, a very uh, beloved Tevi, a beloved Eved Kanani of Rabban Gamliel. Tanu Gamliel, Tanu Gamliel, Omar of Shimon, Shimon says, Mishichasei Shabbin Gamliel. From the conversations of Rabbi Gamliel, Lamadnu Shedivarim, you learn out two things. Lamadnu Shavadam Petura Minasukah. You learn out, first of all, where he says, oh, look how smart Tevi is. He's an Evakanani and he slept under a bed because he's not obligated in sukkah, right? So you learn out, first of all, that an Ebed is not obligated in sukkah. He also learned out that when a person sleeps under a bed, he's not fulfilled his Gamliel. Why don't we say from the words of Rabbi Gamliel? Why does he say Misichasai from the conversations of Rabbi Gamliel? Let him say from Rabbi Gamliel's words. So the Gemara says, very important, you say it in life. And how to talk, converse for ourselves, and what to take out of conversations with those who are greater than us, bigger than us. Rav Shimon is teaching us an additional benefit. How do you know that even conversations of Tamid are meant to be studied and looked at. Their olive, their leaves, do not dry out. Okay? What do you see from here? That it's Kedai to just hang around Kedailim. Just hang around. It's worthwhile. Hang around the Kedailim. And there's so much to learn just from, um, just from simple conversations with them. There's so much halacha to uh, to gain from it. Okay, let's learn for another couple minutes, and then we'll hold it here. That's uh, because there's another mission. Even though we're starting a new mission here, there's another Mishnah right on top of tomorrow's daf. So let's cover another couple minutes. The person who leans a sukkah on bedpost, Kshera, it's fine. If it can't stand by itself, then it is possible. Okay, so the shaila is: Can you use 
the uh, you one of these fancy schmancy four poled beds, these poles that go up on each corner, lay out schach and be o- and be okay. Says the Gemara, my time is Yehuda. What is the reason for Yehuda that you cannot put schach on your bedposts? One says because by definition, since a bed is meant to lay down on and it's never kept in one place, you move from one bedroom to another bedroom. So you can't say this is a permanent sukkah. You can't say this is sukkah. This thing's meant to be moved around. Um, because you're not allowed to put schach on something that is mekabel tumah, something that's susceptible towards tumah. And a bedpost, right now, it's a vessel. So if I lay schach directly on my bedpost, that's not allowed. What's the practical difference between them about whether the reason is because of whether you need kvias or whether you can't put on davar mekabel tumah? I'll tell you, where a person took the bed and put pegs into the ground. And put schach on top of them. Okay? Now I just put pegs in, and these things are no, no longer, it's not movable, and it should be okay. Put on top of metal, it's still on top of a davar hamakabal tumma. The Mishnah is talking about where you are leaning your schach on the bedpost. But let's say to just lay out schach directly on top of your wooden bedposts, ksheira, that should be okay. My time, oh why? That over here, it's considered kvias. This is very interesting. Ready for this, lambdas? Let's hop this, hopefully. The, even though a bed itself is not established, the posts are established on the bed. And therefore, the posts are keva. And since the posts are permanently connected to the bed, I can lay out schach on top of the posts. The man of nature made the double makabel tuma. According to what it says, the problem is double makabel tuma. These things are still makabel tuma. Harei ima made the double makabel tuma. The man of nature made the double makabel tuma. Yeah, harei ima made the double makabel tuma. You're no longer standing them on something that is. Uh, you are standing it on something double makabel tuma, and therefore it will not be allowed. So if you hold the problem is that it's it can't be keva. Okay, so now it's so now you're okay. But if you hold, the problem is that it can't be done with Tumah, and now you're not okay, because Lamaisa, it's still on something that is not Mechabel Tumah. Okay, we'll hold it here. We finish the Daf Baruch Hashem. Bez Hashem, we will pick up from here tomorrow evening with Daf Chaf Beis. Have a wonderful, wonderful night, everybody.